Hello and welcome back to Equity, TechCrunch's venture capital-focused podcast where we unpack the numbers and the nuance behind the headlines. My name is Alex. I'm the editor-in-chief of TechCrunch Plus, and we are here live at Disrupt 2023, which feels, thank you, which feels fantastic. It's fun to be live, but I'm now realizing that I'm going to sweat off all my makeup <laughs> within the first five minutes of this show. You're looking great so far. Thank you. That's what's supposed to happen. I'm here with Becca Skutak. Becca, say hello. Hey, guys. Happy to be here. And Kirsten Korosek. Thank you. And the important question is, did either of you check the share price of Instacart before we got on stage? We both did, we did. actually. And? We did our homework. It hasn't debuted yet. Still? Right. God. As of 30 seconds ago. As of but, 30 seconds ago. But it does look like they're predicting like 30%, potentially 40% pop. Really? Which would maybe bring it back up to where it was initially, remember when it was $39 billion valued company? Yeah, I do. Remember those days? And then the last time we checked, it was what, $9 billion? It's $10 billion, I think, okay, on okay. a fully diluted valuation, Kirsten. Let's Thank not, you. Let's Thank not cut you. them too short here. <laughs> it did raise its range, Becca, and then priced at the top end of its range. So looking at Instacart, not really a pure play software company, but certainly one of the best known unicorns. How do you rate its IPO performance so far? Well, personally, I thought Instacart has been one of the smartest late stage companies with what they've been doing over the last few years in preparation for a potential IPO like this. I know chatting with some secondary investors as well, they say that IPO bankers aren't interested if there's no upside. So Instacart really started this journey to the current valuation they're going to get now, including if it does pop last year, being very intentional, cutting the valuation down so that there are room for bankers to come in and bring it back up, maybe not to what it was 2021, but somewhere in between. It gave them room to grow. So I think seeing that they were able to price toward the top of their range, which was already such a discount from where they would have gone public, say, two years ago, and that people have interest in sort of letting the stock price go higher day one, I'm not super surprised. Okay, but this raises the important question, Kirsten. If they're looking at a 30 to 40% pop, we know the iBankers are happy because they had the underwriter's option in the IPO, but did the company possibly underprice and therefore not raise as much capital as it might have, given that there's so much interest in the shares? Well, I'm kind of with Becca on this. I think that there's something to be said about being a little bit conservative coming into it because in my world, a great example is Rivian. <laughs> and Rivian's IPO was the biggest IPO of the year. And where are we at today? I haven't checked today, but certainly has lost at least 50% of its value. And I think that there's something to be said about hype and then there's something to be said about longevity. You want a strong opening, of course, and you don't want to leave money on the table. But if you lose all that money off the table just six months later, that's not really good either. Yeah, you're prioritizing either near-term fundraising or longer-term happy investors. And in this case, we're getting an early data point that Instacart shows the latter. I'm going to be curious to see where Clavio prices, I think, later today. And I think they trade on Wednesday. So we're going to get another data point. But Instacart, you know, grocery delivery business with ads and a little bit of software, not exactly what most startups are building. So I think Clavio is going to be the more interesting debut of the week, Becca, because it's just more like a traditional unicorn. You don't think it'll be Birkenstock in a few weeks? You know, uh, does Birkenstock count as a tech company? I mean, there was no mention of generative AI in their IPO, just so you know, I checked. And given that like McDonald's <laughs> is talking about generative AI, if they're not, they're definitely not a tech company. Right. Are you tracking the Birkenstock IPO? I mean, why not? Great company. It's the shoe company, right? Correct. Yes. Yeah, the Birkenstock. Okay. You the know, Birkenstock. it's been around for a few decades. Oh, it's the Allbirds for old people. For old people. Okay. I don't know. I, I, I've seen some Gen Z's walking around with some Birkenstocks. I, I kid, I kid. My spouse wears Birkenstocks, <laughs> so don't worry. So that's the IPO market this week. I'm really glad to see stuff going on. I do want some more offerings, but at least we're going to get a couple of data points on the board. We had ARM go out last week. So 
progress. Progress is good. It sort of seems like certainly rosier than a year ago. IPOs were pretty, it was a quiet area, right? So what I'm curious to see is what happens between now and the end of the year. How many more do we get momentum or does it sort of fizzle out? Um, And I've certainly heard some growth startups that I know who have been tinkering and thinking about IPO. We just talked about this last week. Like Lime's been talking about an IPO forever. It has been, yes. Is it going to happen by the end of this year? Well, I think Lime definitely needs to put up or shut up. But we should also mention that Turo, (laughs) which is the the P2P car rental service, has been refiling its own IPO documents for a long time now. They're definitely in the wings. But then the list does get a little short. And so I kind of want some other companies to start calling me up and say, hey, you should talk to our CEO off the record. I can't tell you why because I know what that means. And I've done that with other companies that have gone public, but those calls are not yet happening. So, Well, I have a question for Becca. So in the world of IPOs, what kind of company do you think would be a good time right now? Because we have got Instacart. It's sort of like a mixed bag. So what would you like to see between now and the end of the year in terms of the kind or sector company? Yeah. I mean, for one, I personally am excited for the Turo IPO because one thing I started looking into earlier this year about, oh, when will IPOs come back? What will that look like? Is someone was telling me about, we'll check the secondary pricing. Are the sellers and the people looking to buy, are they on consensus of price? Because a lot of those secondary buyers are also involved in buying toward the IPO. So Turo checking when they were rumoring this a couple months ago, that bid-ask spread was tiny. Like they were like, everyone was tight on the price. So I'm excited to see what happens to them because they seem like even in the private market, they're getting quite a lot of consensus on sort of what investors in the company themselves think that they're worth. So it'll be interesting to see kind of like how that goes. Also, I think this is the first time anyone has ever said bid, ask, spread on the show. So thank you for bringing that bit of terminology to the podcast. Sorry to put the little jargon. No, no, no. no first Alex, thing are you kidding me? That like made his entire week, I, I think, just because <laughs> you said those words. I'm now a very happy boy. <laughs> The last thing I'll throw out there is Databricks just raised another half billion dollars at a $43 billion price tag. I don't think they're going to go out soon, but like when they do go out, I think that's going to be the IPO of the year whenever that does happen. So, you know, knocking on. But didn't you say that we'll probably all be retired by the time that happens? Just because I wanted to be annoying to their comms team. (laughs) That was strictly just to get a call from them being like, hi. Um, It didn't work actually, but no, (laughs) they have to go out eventually. They can't keep it So in the year 2050, it will be the biggest IPO. In the year 2050, yes, in the year 3000. (laughs) And no earlier than that. (laughs) Uh, I missed something in the intro, which is that we were going to have our dear friend Marianne do the show with us, as she often does. She is not here due to a family emergency. So Becca was very kind and joined us. She's a regular on the show. So thank you, Becca. But we were going to make some jokes about how much uh, Marianne hates robo-taxis. Yes. Because they're amazing. And uh, you've taken one some this week. A couple. Yeah. So last year when I was here, I took the cruise and Waymo wasn't available yet. And also it was really limited. I had to take the cruise to one stop, get out, then hail an Uber and then go to my final destination. So since then, they've had the permit that has given Waymo and Cruise basically the entire city 24-7. Of course, Cruise has had some issues and is at 50% right now. So I'm unable to hail a Cruise until 9 p.m. But Waymo, I've taken a few rides. And I've taken some tech renters along with me. And I really wanted to bring Marianne in there. Sort of force her in the vehicle. (laughs) I think we would have had to like bribe her. Like we'll give you $500 to get in this car for five blocks. (laughs) It was really interesting. One of our reporters, Harry Weber, who covers climate tech and does some transportation stuff for us, she was in the front seat. And at one point it was very confidently going up right behind the vehicle and then goes into the turning lane. And she wanted to grab the steering wheel at one point and held back. 
right? So now we know Harry's trying to take over the cars. Yeah, okay. but she um, but she held back and we arrived safely at our destination. Well, I'm very glad that you're safe because yeah. we have another way we might get around in the future, which is apparently going straight up into the sky on the power of batteries. So what's going on with Joby? Oh, yeah. So Joby. So this is really interesting. One of our reporters, Aria, who actually covers a lot of space, but she does quite a bit around EV tolls. And she had a scoop a few weeks ago. And I will say that the company was adamant about not confirming anything with us, that Joby was going to be building its factory either in Dayton, Ohio, or in North Carolina. And they announced they're going to Dayton, Ohio with quite a big incentives package, actually. Several hundred dollars, or $700 million, thank you. And they say that they're going to add something like 2,000 jobs, but, you know, that's a long road to that 2,000 job mark. Yes. Joby's really an interesting company. They've been on our stages before, like at our mobility event and things like that. And they've been working on this for a long time. There's obviously a a number of FAA certifications that have to be received first, and they're on their way. So this production facility is the sort of big kickoff to, hey, we're going to be commercially operating. EVTOL is electric vehicle, no, electric vehicle vertical takeoff. You're adding a couple extra words in there, Okay, help me out. Electric vertical takeoff. You can put and, but we argued about this earlier. You felt like the and shouldn't be in there. So So we took it out for you. Okay. But essentially you're going straight up and these are, are these like urban transportation? So there are a few different business models out there. And when I say business models, I'm going to put them in quotes because they don't exist quite yet. Right. But for Joby, it's meant to be in urban environments, places like LA, where it would vertically take off and then shuttle you to, you know, your other skyscraper tower where you work. So this is not really transport for the masses. Becca's not going to jump on this to like go across Manhattan. Well, they say it's transportation for the masses, whether it actually becomes that. And it's, you know, I think that's the big debate. Is this something for the very wealthy or something actually what they promise, which is something that Uber and Lyft promise too. It's going to reduce traffic and, uh, (laughs) and people are going to share rides. And we, what happened there? There's Uber and Lyft. I use it all the time. Did it eliminate traffic? Not so much. Yeah, I saw that they had some partnerships with some airlines, but I'm like, if anyone who's flown at all this year knows, airlines aren't really getting stuff moving around at a good pace. Everything's delayed and stuff. So they're working with them. It's kind of like, ooh, well, let's see how that goes. But at the same time, though, you know, these planes, are they planes? What do, what do we call them, cars? Well, I mean, if you want to strip all the lingo out, the electric vertical and takeoff, I mean, think of it as, I mean, some people say, think of it as like a smaller, quieter helicopter. The company might get a little scared about that term because helicopters are quite loud. And that's the big thing that they claim is, and I've, and I've heard it, it's quite quiet. Some people like to call them flying cars, which, you know, you picture something else. So it's trying to be its own category, but basically something that doesn't need a runway that quietly lifts and then brings you over the all the traffic. Yeah. So you can peer down at them and it sounds amazing. Yeah, it does sound amazing. Yeah, right? I have to fly from Providence <laughs> to Newark all the time to get anywhere else in the country. And if I could take one of these as opposed to getting on an airplane the size of like a sardine can, it'd be amazing. It sounds much better than doing what I have to do on Friday when I go back home. Well, I don't know what the distance is for that. So that initially it might be more short distances think of what you would do in an Uber. So there are other companies out there that are looking at that, I guess, middle mile. 
or shorter distances. And then there are companies out there that are looking at, hey, you should buy one of these and you should own an eVTOL. And that's kind of out there too. I don't know about that, but they're only planning <laughs> to deliver about 500 of these per year, according to what we know about this Ohio factory. So certainly not going to be something that we're going to be able to buy. We're not going to be buying them, but I do predict that they're going to go to LA first. I feel pretty strongly based yeah. on all the indicators I'm getting. I could be wrong, but this would be potentially a fleet size. You can't have too many of these operating in a city you can imagine. I think there's going to be a lot of pushback from people who live there. So I can see, let's say, how many would you operate during the day and what time period during the day would you operate? And how many do you need? A hundred? I don't think you need 500 in LA. Yeah. I also think it's kind of a sign, a good signal to see, I mean, just after what we've seen the last few years, this company being like, we're making 500. We're not telling you these huge lofty goals. We're not telling you these things we probably won't be able to hit, but being like, we're opening this factory. This is so much we're going to produce. This is what we think we're going to do. It's similar to the Instacart thing. Sure. Maybe they could go more, but if they say they're going to do more and they can't, that's much better than doing less. And exceeding it. Yeah. So that's I think the a good signal. More under promise, over deliver now versus promise right. the world and then hope like mad you're going to pull it off. Yeah. Cause I know, unlike two years ago, any company now that seems like more in that camp, I'm more interested in like the realistic predictions, the stuff that seems a little bit more better to follow. Well, and particularly because it is still frontier tech. So right. when frontier tech goes, we're going to make 10,000 of these a year, it is very easy to dismiss both the technology exactly. and their business model and plans. So by bringing it down, and also I think these are fairly complex. My understanding is it's not like the easiest. They still have to manufacturing, building things is hard. Someone who writes a lot about Tesla and other EV companies, building cars is hard, building flying cars is hard. So 500 seems more reasonable. Yeah, the last thing I want to say about this is Toyota is the largest external shareholder of Joby, which is great news because Toyota knows manufacturing, supply chains, regulatory issues across different continents, like a super competent company. So definitely some good backing from them, hopefully good advice, more capital and supply chain help. And they claim they're going to have these delivered by 2025, which is not that long from now. No. It's five quarters. Yeah. So yeah. we theory, break our lives down in quarters. We absolutely break our lives down in quarters. You know, Toyota is a reflection of what's also happening out in the automotive world. They are not the only automaker that is invested or is interested in EV tolls. Hyundai and GM are two others. So we'll see what comes of this. I just can't not. Whenever you say EV toll, it sounds like a toll road for electric vehicles. And it does not bring to mind this futuristic helicopter thing that I'm going to use to fly across LA to avoid traffic. They really got to rebrand. Okay, well, think of that in next episode. Okay. You can bring your rebranding and we'll share it with Joby and all the others. I'm a critic. I'm not competent. (laughs) I'm not going to be able to come up with my own idea. Come on. That's not what we do That's your homework. That's your homework. You can't can't give me homework. I'm not in school anymore. (laughs) Anyways, let's move on. Becca, deal dive. We've talked a lot about elder care on the show. We know it's a pretty big sector, but there's a company that really caught your eye. So tell us who it is and why. Yeah. So I think it was about a week and a half ago, a company named Bold raised a 17 million Series A. And what stood out to me is that Bold is a elder tech company, but it is personalized exercise routines, fully subsidized by Medicare. So fully free to all their users, exercise routines that help prevent complications from things like arthritis or balance and stuff like that help prevent older people from falling or sort of having some of those health issues that come later in life that can be mitigated with exercise and some of these more preventative measures. I just thought that was so interesting because why have one grandparent still living and we always 
attribute that to the fact that he's been active his whole life, still walks like a mile a day and gardens, mows lawn. And we've always said that's why he seems to have made it this far without heavy health complications and some of that other stuff that gets pretty common when you get older. And so this company stood out to me for that because I was like, yes, I've seen a living example of that. That's such a good idea. And it also from the elder tech side, just that sector's grown so much over the last few years. But something I've noticed is there's been a lot of reactive solutions, which are good. Obviously, those you need to have those kind of solutions when problems do arise. But Bold stood out to me as a proactive solution. Start doing this in your 50s, your 60s, prevent some of those healthcare issues and some of those things that could come up down the line, which I'm hoping this is a sign the category is moving more toward that because it's great to have solutions to the problems, but it's much better to prevent them from happening. Okay, so I have a few questions. We have known about preventative healthcare for a long time, and this isn't necessarily a new idea in terms of, hey, exercise is good and mobility is good and balance and that can prevent falls. So what is the tech piece? Is it hardware? Is there a device that they're wearing? Is it a software subscription? What does this company actually do? Yeah, so it's a subscription. You'd sign up as a user and they would make yourself a personalized health plan. So you would get different videos. They keep adding to the library and they've been taking direct user feedback, they told me. So they're hoping to launch more categories for things that's preventative for other conditions too. Arthritis and balance are just the first two. But I think also the piece of it being free for all users, they specifically partner with organizations that help them subsidize it with Medicare. So all the users can get it for free. But I mean, a lot of people don't exercise to begin with. So I know that's definitely, I'm not saying it's going to be totally up and to the right. <laughs> you still have to get users behavior change and that stuff is hard. But I mean, making it free and that easy to access definitely helps. So how digitally savvy are people in your grandparents' age range? Because I presume they're going to have to be interactive with this to make it work, to pull it up, to use it. And I just don't know if that's an actual impediment to use for people in their 90s or if that's actually now part of life and not going to be a a hurdle for them. You know, I think the pandemic showed us that we did not give older individuals enough credit for a lot of that kind of stuff. And of course, sure, I mean, sometimes I feel like I can't figure normal tech stuff out and like (laughs) I'm not that old. But there are definitely some ways where I think companies take that into mind. I don't think it's going to be like crazily overly complicated to have them figure it out. But there's been some, definitely some signals that have proved that 2020 and on, we maybe did not give that group enough credit. That makes a lot of sense. Also, we have a grain population here in the US. There's aging populations around the world. So we talk about TAM quite a lot in the startup world. And the TAM is probably like several billion people in theory across the planet. So a a huge market if it works and we could all use more exercise. I think the nation's not too healthy right now. No. And the personalized aspect of it is fun because I mean, I don't have access to a free personalized (laughs) exercise plan. Like, I'm like, that sounds pretty good. It's going to prevent some future issues. Like, I don't know, maybe they make those for the young people too. I'm curious how they're marketing it because I think of a captured audience, you could go and do large contracts with, you know, big established assisted living places where people are living somewhat independently. And so it's like a contractual thing with that development group or those companies and they're pretty large. Or is it a very one-on-one consumer-based pitch And is it global? Are they going after just 
North America right now or sort of a global market? I'm definitely not sure what market they're going after, but I did ask them about how they get this in front of potential customers. And they're saying that it's largely word of mouth through doctors. Really? If you're in that age demographic and you happen to work with someone who's recommending bold to that doctor's office practice, they're recommending it to their patients because they're like, well, I don't want to have to see you for a fall in two years. Why don't you use this free app? I can help you. Like they'll be checking in with them kind of thing. So they're getting a lot of the word out through doctors themselves telling their patients to try it. Well, doctors are probably tired of fixing the same problems that come from inactivity and a lack of just strength. So get your core on essentially. Yeah. Yeah. There's also been a couple of other venture firms that have been put together on the market since 2020 that are working on the elder care space. So it does seem to be a burgeoning category of both startup interest and venture capital interest, which is pretty cool. And we did have Sarah Moskoff from Winnie on the podcast to talk about Papa, which was another company in the elder tech space that didn't go quite as well. So we're already seeing some kind of issues with that, but certainly applying the startup model to any new market will have some, you know, issues as you kind of figure it out. No, that's what I was going to say. It seems like there's signals that the category is expanding. And there's also been some players that have gotten big and like Papa had some setbacks, had some issues. And that honestly just shows that the market is seeing that expansion because it wasn't going to grow without any pushback, any hurdles, anything like that. So even the Papa thing, not great for the company, obviously, and sort of the people who are working with them, but not necessarily a bad sign for the sector as a whole. No, not at all. And speaking of things that are getting big without any pushback or any controversy whatsoever, have you guys heard about AI? I hear it's a big deal. Never heard of it. Yeah. Well, I haven't heard about it at all. In fact, I'm surprised we don't have anything here at all about generative AI at Disrupt. Like, no, not even not even slightly. But just because I know no one else is going to talk about it for the next three days, I thought I would bring a generative AI round to the pod today. And there's a company called Ryder that just raised a $100 million round. And Becca, you and I know nine-figure venture capital rounds are pretty thin on the ground. So seeing one for a Series B, no less, kind of blew my socks off. I'm curious what you thought. Yeah, no, I think the generative AI specifically, the big rounds has been so funny because there's now headlines coming out where it's like, oh, well, it's not just as easy to raise if you're a generative AI company anymore. And it'll always be the same day where we get at least a six figure generative AI round. And it's like, well, okay, I'm sure not every company can raise, but every company shouldn't be able to raise necessarily. So it's good to see late stage funding. I know Crunchbase had some numbers on it from August that said late stage funding had ticked up month over month for like the first time in at least a year. Oh, that's actually so, very important. Very good. And I think a lot of that is pegged to generative AI. Well, I mean, I'm not shocked. I mean, Iconic Growth led this round. So that's a big capital pool getting to work. And the thing I liked about Writer more than just kind of your standard gen AI startup is that they talked about revenue growth in their kind of like in-house announcement. And they said their revenue has grown 10x in the last two I'm years. sorry, did you say revenue growth? Like revenue, actual revenue. Like, I, I know you cover <laughs> EV SPACs where there's never any revenue I, whatsoever. Like, such a new word for me, revenue and growth coupled yes. together. Sorry to interrupt, but no, I just had to pause for a moment and take that in. No, I, even amongst generative AI companies that are pretty nascent, this is only a Series B company, to talk about a multi-year revenue growth story, very interesting. And they also said they had 150% net revenue retention, which implies that existing customers are expanding their spend and they should have a lot of growth to come. So it seems like a very reasonable round. What's funny is we reported that the valuation was between 500 and 700 million post money off a nine-figure round. In 2021, this would have been what, like a $2 billion valuation, I feel. Definitely. Like it's, even in generative AI, things do seem to be more conservative and reasonable is a value judgment, but like reasonable compared to where we were a little while ago, even in the hottest part of tech. So that seems 
encouraging, Kirsten? So I have a question, though, for both of you is, you know, as someone who has ridden the hype cycle when it comes to autonomous vehicles, which, by the way, you know, does use AI, but in this new generative AI world that we're sort of riding down, where do you see it in the hype cycle based on these recent raises are you seeing? Because as you mentioned, you're still seeing pretty large raises and yet valuations that seem to be maybe a little bit more in the world, you know, reality-based. So are we riding that, have we hit the peak of the hype or are we now settling down? I think AI specifically is so complicated because as you mentioned with autonomous vehicles, there's a lot of industries that have been using AI for years, building AI for years. So it is so different from some of those hype cycles that it's kind of like no one talked about this, no one was using this, total brand new technology, now we're all interested. So I think for these kind of companies, for me, I'm always looking to see when was the company founded? Mm -hmm. If the company was founded 2022, 2023 and is getting this kind of around or that kind of evaluation, I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. But if it's like, this is a couple years older, definitely been building the whole time, that situation, it's so different, which makes it so hard to peg the hype cycle because you see a big round like this and you want to be like, oh, generative AI. But it's like, maybe you look and the company's been doing this for seven years. Yeah. And like you said, they have revenue. So it's like, it's so hard. I have a hard time kind of pegging yeah, you, where we're at. You almost don't want to paint it with a broad brush, but at least in, you know, what I've seen, you know, with AVs and things, it's like you go really through this trough of disillusionment. You see a lot of consolidation and this settling down, but doesn't disappear. You know, we, as proven yesterday when I took a driverless ride. It didn't disappear. But all the really hypey startups that were managing to get, you know, maybe $100 million raised or a little bit less and only being founded for a year, those disappeared. Yeah. So I'll be interested to see if the same thing happens in the generative AI space, if it goes through that sort of down cycle. Well, a lot of the work that's been done on generative AI tooling and the kind of tech stack for it is being done by companies that won't disappear full stop. Like, I mean, if you talk to Databricks now, they're like, we're a data and AI company. They're going nowhere. Microsoft, of course, is doing quite a lot with open AI and so forth. So when it comes to like the hype cycle going down, all the big tech stuff may become less important or talked about less, but it won't go away to your point. It's the startups that I worry about the most because they're not only going up against one another and model companies that are just building the kind of core LLM tech, but also big tech. And so I, I'm just more concerned about like the incumbents capturing the market and not leaving enough room for startups to build cool new things than I am about precisely where we are in kind of the hype curve because I want to see the smaller companies straight up kill the big ones. I don't want to see the big ones kill the little ones. No, it's definitely going to be one of those categories where it's like a battle of the features. Some startups will build something that will last. People will want to adopt it. Other startups are going to build something that Microsoft is going to release as a feature. Yeah. But the thing about Rider that I think is more defensible is they have their own models. They have their own way of ingesting user data. They call it a knowledge graph. And then they also have some guardrails built in so your AI doesn't do insane things. So they've kind of done a soup to nuts thing as a smaller company, which is pretty encouraging because before this, they'd only raised... 20, 25 or something, which is not nothing, but compared to what we were seeing a little bit ago, not too crazy. So they got a lot done with not much. Now they have more money. How far can they scale it? And then can they get to that, you know, mythical, now <laughs> rare again valuation mark before we get to harass them about going public, hopefully soon. So I'm, I'm stoked. Well, and also I think that it'll come down to one thing we didn't bring up too much is you talked a lot about you worry about startups being able to raise. So investor interest matters. So right now I don't see any boredom around generative AI. I still see a lot of interest around it. So as long as it continues to be the most exciting tech in the room, I think that we're going to continue to see 
fundraising, but I do think that it'll, it won't just be money tossed out everywhere. No, I think those days are behind us because everyone's realized that if they hold on to their money, they get 5% in a checking account. So, you know, don't light it <laughs> on fire. A much safer option. <laughs> much safer option. All right. We need to um, let the first panel come on stage, but before we bounce, Kirsten, what is your day like? And then Becca, what are you doing today? Well, I'll be over at the sustainability stage. So hope to see all of your faces there. Um, I'm going to be doing a climate investing panel. We have a bunch of really interesting people. Rick Fox is going to be there, which is going to be very cool. If you're not familiar with the basketball star, but also has a startup, a concrete startup that's going to be there. We're going to be talking about ag tech, lab grown meats, you know, all the tasty, tasty bites of uh, climate tech. And then tomorrow, can I, can I, Please pitch my tomorrow. Tomorrow I have two really big main stage interviews that I'm really looking forward to. We're going to have Cruz's CEO, CTO, and co-founder Kyle Voigt, our vote, and then we're going to have JB Straubel, um, who a lot of people know, but Tesla co-founder, CTO, long time left, started Redwood Materials. They actually just made a big acquisition today, and um, we're going to have them both. That's awesome. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to be in the audience for hopefully both of those if I can sneak away. I'm really excited about it. Becca, uh, you're going to be here most of the day. I will be here. You can see me two more times today on this stage if you're interested. Um, We've got a panel coming up just in about an hour looking at how to build an equitable cap table. Big, important subject. And then later in the day, we're looking at employee stock options, employee liquidity, and using those kind of things for retention. But another shout out for later this week. Thursday morning, 9 a.m., kicking off the security stage. We'll have Found Live. We have Window Snyder is going to be with us on stage, and that is something you do not want to miss. Yes, Becca is the only one hosting two different podcasts this week because she's just that cool. For everyone at home listening to this, we hope you were out to disrupt. We missed you. For everyone that's here, thank you for showing up, and uh, we're going to go ahead and get started now. So welcome to Disrupt. Equity is hosted by myself, Editor-in-Chief of TechCrunch Plus, Alex Wilhelm, and TechCrunch Senior Reporter, Mary Ann Azevedo. We are produced by Teresa Loconsolo with editing by Kel. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator, and a big thank you to the audience development team and Henry Picavet, who manages TechCrunch Audio Products. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. 